To everyone listening at whatever time you're listening. I am Joe Anthony Myrick. You can call me Jam for short. And this is the Mental Health Check-In Podcast, a podcast dedicated to spreading mental health awareness as a means to help us all heal. Because the more we learn, the more we heal. And today we'll be healing with a very special guest. She is a podcaster. She is the the host, the star, the mastermind behind Tranos and the lived experience. And she is a fellow member of NQO, New Career Order. She is Cameron Ellen Jurell. How are you doing today, Cameron? Greetings to all timelines. How are you? <laughs> doing all right. Doing all right. Can't complain too much. Uh, how are you feeling on just a, you know, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual level, you know, all that jazz? Uh, so how I'm feeling, that's a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, summing it up, uh, I've always kind of been in a constant flux, not really aware of where I am until I've processed it. So currently I am just a little, uh, I'm excited to be here today, but like, this is the, this is one of the highlights of my day. So I'm excited to be here today, but I've just been kind of melancholy lately. Like just a little tired, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm glad this is a highlight at the very least. Uh, Do you want to talk about the melancholy a little bit? If you want to get something off your chest? Um, yeah, I'm like, I'm a trans elder at 41 years old. So that's a problem. <laughs> um, I'm a trans elder who like has been fighting like most of my existence for the for equity at some intersectionality level. Like I'm black, I'm queer, I'm also trans, I'm also feminine. So there's just a lot of stuff going on in society today that kind of negatively affects me. And while trying to stay positive, I am aware that there is this sadness, you know what I mean? It's like this, um, it's like this sadness that like you want to go away for so many other people beside yourself. Like I want the sadness to go away from me, but I know because I'm feeling it in such a, a world scale that I know the rest of the trans and non-binary community is feeling it as well. And it's kind of all affecting us to a certain degrees and it's beating me down, but I'm here, you know? And I'm glad you're here. And I think I kind of, well, obviously I can't relate entirely to the experience of being a trans woman, but as far as just, I can kind of, I think I know what you're saying as far as just a black experience. If, is it, is it, is it, is it it appropriate for me to kind of make that parallel? Uh, I'm in my intersectionalities demand it kind of, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm black. I've always been black. I'm trans. I've always been trans. I've always lived those existences to a certain degree even when I was in stealth like I was still a trans person and because of that intersectionality and my blackness I felt like there was one that I could hide and there one that there was one that I couldn't so I hid being trans because I was already going through enough as a black uh, human being in the, the United States of America born in the 80s like I had to go through a lot of stuff like uh family traumas uh the stigma around uh queer people was completely different from what it is now I mean it's not 100 percent the greatest thing now but in the 80s like they let it they let like millions of us die like I was old enough to know about that. I was old enough to experience that 
I was old enough to see it around me. And then watching like uh, Reaganomics, like destroy black communities growing up in like traps and stuff like that. And like watching like redlining and gentrification and uh, the the creating of ghettos happening in the 80s. Like they like the, the infrastructure was set up to harm brown people. And it was also set up to repulse gay people to keep them away like and I like as a gay black child I was very aware that like oh I have to hide these things and I have to I'm going to have to endure a lot because I had already saw a lot happening around me and I thought at like um I think like I thought it was like I thought at 33 years old that it was going to be different and it it's a little different but not by much Progress has got us to this point, but it's not progressed to where I can feel 80% safe anywhere. I guess backtracking a little bit, since you you talked about how you felt like you had to hide for so long, and I can totally understand the reason to hide, especially during the, the Reagan era. When, or I suppose, how did you get to a point where you felt like you couldn't hide anymore or chose not to hide anymore i was aware of my transits at around five five years old and i'm caribbean uh so it was kind of forced upon me that like this is what would happen to a trans person or a gay person in my household and i lived in the foster system throughout my teenage years till i was 21 years old um when I turned 21 I became a professional wrestler so I just kind of moved into place spaces where it wouldn't be safe for me to be trans and then um around 32 I made a decision after like dealing with horrible suicidal ideation and just the mourning of a lost childhood as who I really am and I figured in my mind I had given up too much time so I started making uh, preparations to transition on my 32nd birthday. And I started cutting ties with people. I started saying my goodbyes. I worked um, an entire program with Maddox from UPW Wrestling. Um, I worked that whole year telling everybody that whole time that I have to go, um, this is my swan song. When we get to this date, I am done. And then 10 days before that date, my mother died. I had already spoken to my mother the day of my 32nd birthday. So I already spoke to her and told her what was going on. And like, she helped rename me and stuff like that. And that's when it really hit for me that like, this is happening. This has to happen. I wasted way too much time, like hiding who I was from people. And now I'm making up for that lost time, but there's stuff learning the melancholy in my life is currently surrounding the fact that I can't get that time back because of society, I never got to be a girl. I never got to be a child. And the melancholy is kind of like a mourning for that. And, but I also know that there's no way I can get that back. So it's, I'm, I feel like I'm dwelling too long in that sadness because it's been years of dwelling in that sadness. Uh, I started feeling it right around like, 32 and I started I was a year in started hormones at 33 uh by 35 I had been attacked 
I have been fired from jobs. I have been ostracized. A lot of people say that that um, they say that that it gets better thing. That never happened for me. It didn't get better. Like I love being Cameron, but the world is still kind of not prepared for her. And because I lived a life of survival mode, I don't know how not to be in survival mode. And because of the survival mode, there's a lot of emotions that I haven't felt, but there's one that I've always felt, sadness. And I'm sorry that you have to go through so much sadness and just a world that's just treating you unfairly. And like, let me preface this. Why well, I want to preface this by saying a few things. One, by saying that my audience should also definitely, I want to redirect this to your podcast because I think everybody should listen to your podcast. A lot of this you've talked about, you've talked about in depth on your podcast. So I encourage everyone to redirect their ears towards Tranos and Lived Experience. Two, I want to preface this by also saying that with, with all of the weight of the world, I guess just being so unfair to you or in your own words, not ready for Cameron, to be perfectly blunt, I just want to say fuck everyone who's not quote unquote ready for you because they should not they should not let their own ignorance, what's the word, um, hurt your own happiness, I think. And I can tell that's really been a weight on you. And again, I'm sorry that's been such a weight. And I hate that it's like that. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that anyone who carries such ignorant beliefs should just check their ignorance at the door and not impose their ignorance on other people. Does that make sense? It does. And I, um, I do approach that a lot on my podcast. The, the truth of the matter is, is that the life that I've lived and the sadness that I felt helps me create uh, the conversations and the, the space that is trainos and the lived experience. Like I think from the experiences I've had, that I've been able to garner a power that most people will never feel. I feel the most free when I'm able to speak my mind. And I feel the most free when I'm able to do that undeterred, unfettered, um, not judged. I get to like explode in this fucking space that I've created. I'm sorry if I'm not allowed to curse. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I, do, I, do I, I cursed of, accidentally myself. <laughs> I do it a lot on my show. I'm so used to dropping <laughs> F-bombs. But um, <laughs> it, it's how I express myself being of Caribbean Scottish descent. So um, I feel like that space is a space that like is tailor-made for me to release that kind of pain and turn it into not just a conversation, but I consider what I do an art. It's the ability to, to, to paint a picture with words, no script, organic, that's full of emotion, that's palpable. I feel like that space is the only space that I've ever been able to attain in life where I get to be completely 100% me and be comfortable. 
And it's, I think it's important that I have that space. And that's one of the, as much as it's cathartic and educational for some others, it might even be entertaining. It's cathartic for me. And that's the, that's why it's being done. I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad you said that. Cause that was going to be my next question. Just like, I forget how I was going to word it, but just basically like how you, how do you push forward knowing you have this weight on your shoulders and you kind of answer it by saying that you use things like Tranos as a creative outlet. And you say that it's very entertaining and educational, but I also say that at risk of sounding cheesy, I think what you do is even inspiring. Like you put yourself full start to finish everything that's unabashedly yourself into this podcast and I think that gives a certain hope to people who are in their own melancholy, be it a melancholy they directly relate to or just a melancholy that's unique to them. And I'm glad that you do that for every episode. I've been listening almost since day one, ever since whenever I started, back when I used to do the social media for NQO and yeah. what you do, you're so good at what you do. Like, um, it's... It's just very, on top of being funny, educational and whatnot, it's just so, I think you said best when you said cathartic. Like it's, I think a lot of people can find catharsis and understanding by kind of living vicariously through your words. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, a breakaway from like the norm. It's not like... Um... And this isn't a shot at other creators, but it's not me talking about like youthful stuff. It's me talking about a lifetime spent in a cage. And like, it's me finally being free. Like, it's like, I've literally lived 33 years as an entirely different person. And I had to hide who I was from every person I came across. So I was never allowed to be authentic anywhere else but Tranos and the lived experience. Like up to the point where I started this a year ago, I was just the trans girl who used to be Gabriel Saint. Like nobody really knows a lot about me because they never took the time to, because I didn't provide a space to. Moving through life as stealth will give you lots of superficial relationships that are meaningless. Like if you want to live life to its fullest, you have to be authentic. And that's the, the cause of my melancholy is the truth that I was so afraid of being judged. And here I am at 41 years old and I'm fully authentic and everything that I was afraid of was happening. I wish I just was younger when it happened. I wish I had more energy and, and, and more forth, like, forethought to know that I was going to have to fight regardless. So I might as well have just been myself. I was going to have to fight regardless. Nothing about this journey has been easy. Like it's, um, and I think that's a, as, as, as a person who has synesthesia, I have synesthesia. I'm diagnosed with it. I also have CPTSD. I've had depression since I realized that I was a trans person and couldn't be a trans person. So I've been in therapy since I was like six years old. And um, there is a lot of hurt and harm that came with being this thing, even secretly in the 80s. Like I was pushed into therapy programs. I went through conversion camps. I've lived a life without privilege, but lots of concession. 
There's lots of concession. And I did it with no privileges involved. And that makes you angry and makes you, it makes you like, uh, destroy yourself from inside. That's what was happening before Tranos and the lived experience came along. I was literally destroying myself. I, I withdrew, um, especially after being attacked. I got attacked um, in 2017. Um, I was attacked. And after that, like, I kind of like detransitioned myself a little bit. Like I put on weight, um, I cut my hair, I stopped taking voice lessons. Like fear and anxiety caused this sadness. And the sadness is based upon like, I think we spoke about it before we actually started like recording today. It's like the sadness comes from me blaming myself for what the world's doing. And when I'm Tranos, when I turn that microphone, I don't, I don't allow that to happen to me. I say everything that needs to be said. And I, I, I speak my truth unabashedly and I don't make any concessions in that space. Nor should you, I don't think. And talking about like what we talked about before we start recording, I'm gonna try and echo, not remembering exactly what I said, but I'm going to echo that you shouldn't, or at least I hope you still don't feel bad for whatever happened to you. Like that should, you should not feel like you have to hide, basically. You should not feel like because people, people are treating you terribly, but that's them in their own ignorance. I think I even said that during, during the recording, like that's, what what happened to you should have never happened to you and i'm sorry you had to go through it i really appreciate that um it's a daily thing like it's never gonna fully go away like there's lots of uh there's lots of trauma there and like because i have cptsd there's lots of instances of world damaging trauma um I remember, like I said, I came, I knew what I came to the awareness that I was something else at five. There was no name for it at the moment. There was no name for it that would be anything that wasn't derogatory. Um, back then, they called uh, trans people pretty much drag, drag queens, he she's, uh, she males. Like there was really the only references uh, to trans people were in like porn magazines. Like it wasn't like a conversation that humanized us. And I knew at five uh, that there was this awareness that I was something different and I would gravitate towards those kind of people because I'm not the first trans person in my family. I'm not. <laughs> um, I saw what happened to them. I saw how they treated her. I saw the outcome of what HIV did to our community through her and I saw uh, the damage that could be done to a trans person, even post-mortem. And that was a bomb that dropped. And like, it was heavier than being beat. It was heavier than being neglected. It was heavier than starving. It was heavier than having two parents on drugs. It was um, heavier than being bounced around foster care. That is the defining moment of where my trauma started. Because I got to see what would happen to me and it was so scary as a child with no concept with no knowing that the future could hold people that would support me i had no concept of that so seeing that 
was the first big trauma that I ever felt. And it broke me like so badly. And then the conditioning of uh, cons conversion camps further broke it, like broke me. And it, it taught me that what I was came with sadness. And what I'm trying to convey to people through Tranos and the lived experience is, yeah, I've lived through some terrible things, but I, I also believe that as trans people, we have awareness to the world that makes us take the beauty of things for granted because we're, it's so easy for us to detect the harm because it's always coming. It's always coming. And I want to provide a space where we can talk about those things, but we can also laugh and joke and like take a moment to like take in like this time that we live in, this power that we have. Being trans people to me is what I like to tell people is it's magical. Like we're the only beings that live twice, but we're also the only beings that die twice. That that's a beautiful thing, but it's and it's and it's sadness. There's also beauty, and it's beauty. There's also sadness, and I feel like this sadness uh, will be with me for the rest of my life. But I feel like it the blow will lessen as I learn to love me more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. I'm in, midst, I'm in the midst of doing that. At 41 years old, it's taken me this long to learn that like. I, I can't keep neglecting myself for the pains of the world. I still need to love me while this is happening. Absolutely. And I just really love that sentiment. Like you said, it's, it's a little very sweet, but it's also very beautiful to kind of knowing the way of the world. And I'm saying that a lot, the way of the world and how more ignorant eyes in this world view you and trying to not just push forward, but kind of choosing yourself, owning yourself the best you can to kind of make the most of it. I think that's a really, really powerful sentiment. And I think that power, that, that sentiment comes off all the more powerful through your podcast. So again, thank you for offering that, that, that outlet for your arts yeah. for as long as you have, and um, I also want to ask that um, one thing I kept getting across from you talking is that you were saying that you saw a lot of pain, you felt a lot of pain since you were growing up, but you didn't really have words to describe it. So I guess I want to ask, like, can you explain the process of going through not exclusively, well, I guess trauma, let's call it trauma, going through a trauma, but trying to navigate and make sense of it when you don't have the words. Does that question make sense? It does make sense. And I think that what my coping mechanism to get through that kind of stuff was, uh, and people will say this is a terrible coping mechanism, but it's the one that I used a lot, uh, escape and a disassociation. I learned uh communication from putting myself in a disassociate a disassociative state like i learned how to communicate my needs by detaching my feelings and making it clinical or making it romantic 
or turning it into a story that was palpable to me. Um, I learned how to speak up for myself and got a confidence behind being a speaker because I wanted to make every bit of pain that I felt feel eloquent when, while being presented. So I disassociated a lot and a lot of people were, were really surprised to find out that how I learned to stealth was from vampires. I literally lived like a sort of vampire for 33 years and I romanticized my stealthing by telling myself I was Louis, I was Lestat. I, I lost myself in books a lot and I spent a lot of time around the written word when I couldn't spend time around other human beings. So I think that helped me learn how to figure out the cadence and the tone to use to tell the world how I was feeling because they, they all have this expectation. But I think the one thing that was always authentic about me, it was always very telling about the fact that I was more than me CI is the way that I speak. So if that, hopefully that answers your question. Oh yeah, it absolutely does. And I'm trying my best to kind of word this the best way I can, but I actually think that, like you're saying that like a lot of people would disagree with the idea of escapism. I actually think that escapism is kind of not just necessary, but I think it's essential for everybody. Like, I feel like escapism is like this. A lot of people have different outlets of coping, but like a lot of it is in need of another person being a friend, partner, therapist, or something like that. I think that everybody needs their own personal outlet that you can only, for lack of a better word, understand or use in the comfort of just being by yourself, I guess. Like, I know, like, for me, like, whenever I was down growing up or I know certain things in myself that I didn't quite understand or I didn't have the language for or the understanding of, I would go to movies a lot. And, like, oftentimes I would see stories in movies and kind of see myself reflected in those movies and kind of think, oh, this, on top of being entertaining, this just makes sense i can kind of relate to myself and kind of find the words that i can use to describe myself that i didn't know before seeing this movie so i think that escapism is a way of not only helping yourself feel better but also just kind of understanding yourself in a way that you can't really do when trying to work through it with someone else i think yeah, I think books and things gave me like an anti-hero. Um, it gave me someone to uh, strive to be, but it also taught me like little skills to use in a everyday stealthing. Like I said, like I, uh, I thought I, I lived kind of like a vampire. I likened myself to Lestat because um, I had to build a persona that was male the way I saw males and the perfect man in my mind was Anne Rice's perfect, pompous, privileged predator. And that's pretty much what I became. And that was kind of, it was, it was, it wasn't me at times, but it was eye-opening to see that. And I kind of became a game to me is that I would, leave little hints that like 
the persona that I was playing was not real. I would do it all the time. I would play with like, I would play with my food as uh, Lestat would probably say. I would, I would languish in knowing that like, I'm super close to telling this person what I possibly am and it could shatter what we are, but it's really, really, really romantic to think of it that way. That this thing could like, it's so soap opera, it's so drama. And I would get to the precipice, but never trusting anybody fully to tell them what I was. It was just always kind of a masquerade. I was always at a masquerade. Everybody else was living real life. And I was always at a banquet. I was always wearing a costume. I was always wearing a mask. And if you got close enough to me, you could see the wolf eyes, but you couldn't smell it. And it was that dance. And that's how I got away from detached from feeling the harm that I was putting myself through hiding. Um, I made it into this game that made me otherworldly because technically I kind of am. I think I understand that, totally understand that. I think that's really interesting hearing that in the scope of knowing your history as a professional wrestler. And I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask just like in your time in the professional wrestling industry, did that kind of romanticism and becoming a different character kind of like coincide or intersect at all? Uh, it was for professional wrestling. I got to become an entirely different person. I've lived, unlike most trans people, I've had the gift to live three different lives. I've been Kamrain, who I am currently. I lived a very long time as Jarrell, and I also got to be Gabriel Saint for 20 years. Um, Gabriel Saint was a different character. Um, Gabriel Saint was calculating. Gabriel Saint was, in his own mind, a juggernaut. I would like harm myself and put myself into situations where I would have to test my own fortitude just to be this person. Like it was like um, a, a, how do actors do it? Like what would they call it? Like um, method acting. It was method acting. It was very much method acting. Like being Gabriel Saint was so different from being Jarrell and, and, and being Jarrell and Gabriel Saint taught me how to be Cameron because all I had to do was let go of all those things that I had built up, let go of all those constructs that I had made because it was all about the assumption of what the males around me were. I would always mimic them. And the only thing that set me apart from them was the goal was to mimic them so, so much that they believed that I was unique amongst them, that I was the strongest amongst them, that I was the smartest, the fastest, the most masculine. And then like with little things like the camaraderie and stuff like that, it was just faking it. It was just faking caring about the things that they cared about for the most part. And like, I was really good at it, but there were points where you had to know that you were dealing with at least a queer person. One, no one ever saw me out on a date. I never really talked to anyone about like uh, women or relationships without them initiating those conversations first. I always mimicked back what you were saying to me and I would change the story slightly to make it my own. Um, there was also like um, not having a real understanding of what a man was because I had to construct one. I didn't have like the example of a good man in my home. Uh, like my, my father, 
Most of my earlier friends were foster kids who were raised fatherless and were also criminals. So the, the parts that I had to take to build Gabriel Saint all came from places that I shouldn't have been influenced by. I was a little bit Moriarty. I was a little bit Genghis Khan. I was a little bit, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Dorian Gray. I was, I was a, and they were all like characters that I got from books and I gleaned and I practiced. I even studied, and this is the extreme. Some people say this is a weird extreme to go to, but once again, I have a neurodivergence. So I take things a little too far sometimes. I studied an animal for movement. People were like, well, what animal did you study? Well, they didn't call Gabriel Saint the bull of Black Mountain for no reason. I studied the movement of bull. I studied its attitude. I lived around farms. I was a farm foster kid. I would write notes, and take pictures. Like it became a game to me because it was like, this is the journey I'm on. This is the story I have to tell. I have to be such a great actor that the world believes that I'm this thing. Except for with Gabriel Saint, I got to turn it off when the cameras were off. With Jarrell, I never got to turn it off. I never got to turn it off. So even in that respect, I lived, I've lived three lives and I've already died once. <laughs> like I've already, no, I've died twice now. Because I'm no longer Gabriel Saint, I'm no longer Jarrell. So I got one left. I got one left in the chamber and it's over. <laughs> so I want to live as happy an existence as Cameron as I can. But I have to be aware of the fact that I've lived two lifetimes of sadness already. I don't want to live a third one. On that note, I also feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, like, do you feel as happy as you can be? No, I don't. I don't feel as happy as I can because <sighs> I don't want you. I don't want this interview to sound like I'm complaining. But I'm just being real. I'm being real about my feelings and I'm being real about my experience because I don't want to sugarcoat this for anyone who might be listening. The circumstances of my life are really hard. They're really hard. Like, and it's a lot of aloneness that happens with that. It's a lot of alone time. It's a lot of um, symptoms. I have lots of symptoms. I, I have affective function disorder, I, I, like executive function disorder. I have dys, dysphoria. Like there's a lot of days that just like, I forget like how blessed I am. And that's because I'm human and I think um, I can be happier. I'm just not at this moment. And I'm working towards that. Like I'm working towards that. But it all for me starts with awareness and like self-love. Like I have to be aware and real about what I'm feeling at all times. That's what I've learned uh, balanced against stealthing where I had to be what everybody wanted me to feel. I spent a lot of time like faking emotions. I know for certain there's a lot of times where I, there are emotions that I have never felt. Uh, I've never been in love. I've never trusted anyone. Um, not fully. I've mimicked happiness. There are very few moments where I was genuinely happy. Uh, the first time I really felt happiness was the first time I saw myself in a mirror after transitioning. It was really the first time I looked in a mirror. Um, currently, as a vampire, there are no mirrors in my house. 
Um, uh, but I, I had one at one point in time during my transition before being harmed, before being attacked. And I remember being really happy that day, looking at myself and seeing the woman that I knew I was, I was. And um, there's another day where I was happy and it was the birth of my niece. Um, she's the only one I'm really allowed to see. Um, so she was born same day as me, 39 years after me. <laughs> so that was a very happy time because it was like, oh, another little cancer baby who will feel all the world's like joy and possibly all of its pain because cancers are just mother naturely like empaths. And I just, I was very happy about her birth and I was happy for my brother and my sister. Um, and I was happy the first time I finished an episode of Train Austin the Loop Experience. For the rest of my life, the rest of the time, I was just faking it. I'm learning to be real and authentic about my emotions at all times now. And I'm really glad about that. And I'm glad that in spite of all the horrible stuff, you still kind of, you find reasons to keep pushing, be it the podcast or moments like seeing your niece born. And I'm, I'm just really glad that you can find hope to move forward. Yeah, it's my happiness is my responsibility. Absolutely. And I think that's for everybody. And I'm glad that you're doing the best you can to kind of be as happy as you can, especially through the podcast. So I also want to ask just in the last, because you just had a, a one-year anniversary not too long ago. Yep, anniversary. Mm-hmm, anniversary. that's right. And uh, I want to ask just one year later or a year plus later, like, has it been, has being a podcaster running this podcast been as rewarded, as rewarding as you hoped it would be going into it? Artistically, creatively, yes. Um, every podcaster wants to push into that space uh, where they become popular. Uh, I feel like if I do the work and I love what I'm doing and I'm real with what I'm saying, that'll eventually come. So I'm more, I'm more focused currently on how to harness this creativity and polish it and keep it my own and keep it unique and keep it fresh. And the way that I'm, the way that I'm navigating the space after a year, it's much more professional than it was when I first started. I was just kind of turning on my like stuff and just kind of talking and hoping that it was clear enough. And now like, I know about cadence. I, um, my thoughts are more concise. I'm able to stay on topic longer. I feel more comfortable behind a microphone. Um, I feel like this is like what I was, I stumbled on to what I was meant to do. I stumbled on what I was meant to do because for so long, like, like I said, going back on being a stealth, like a stealth agent of chaos, you spend so much time pretending to be other people that you don't really have goals of your own. 
it wasn't my goal to be an NWA heavyweight champion. That was Gabriel's goal. It wasn't my goal to be the perfect son. That was Jarrell's goal. Um, my goal currently is to create a space where I get to be completely truthful and authentic and I get to be as creative and play with the words as much as I can. And hopefully that touches someone else and is something that is relatable to at least one other person in the world. And I hope so too. I actually think it is, like I was saying before, like I think what you do is just really, it's going to touch some people. It's going to touch, I'm sure it already has touched other people. And I think you do a lot of good work. And I think on that note, also, I think that's a an inspiring note in itself to kind of end on. But before we end, I just want to ask you personally, like, is there any final thoughts you want to give, be it advice or um, just like final things you want to vent, get off your chest, something that you want your audience to hear? Um. My goal on Tranos and the Lived Experience, which comes out like Mondays at 6 p.m. every two weeks, my goal, um, and it's pretty much streamed everywhere, my goal with Tranos and the Lived Experience is to be polarizing without being problematic. So I'm sure there are things that I'm going to say that might rub some of you the wrong way, but it is for education purposes. I am no Joe Rogan. Uh, the things I say are actually to enlighten and uplift and educate, and they might be funny and they might feel, uh, it, it might be inspirational some days, and it might feel like it's tearing you down other days. It is designed to evoke feeling in you and thought. Uh, I am, my goal is to continue to stay polarizing and not problematic. I love the sound of that. And I love everything you said on this podcast today. So I thank you for coming on. But before we before we go on, I like to end every episode with kind of giving people their flowers, so to speak, like in case we never speak again for every reason or if anything or whatnot. I just want you to know why I appreciate you. And I appreciate you because a few reasons, really. Just first, I appreciate you for just offering to come on this podcast, which like, not just because I always appreciate that, but I've said this before to you. I'll say again, I'm sorry that you had, that I didn't have you on this podcast sooner. That's a blunder on my part. That's my fault. But you, you've, you said a lot of really great things that just touched me. So I'm glad that we finally did sit down. And on that note, I also want to say that I appreciate you for the same reason, I appreciate listening to your podcast. For the same reason, I appreciate conversing with you as a part of New Crew Order. I appreciate you just for all of the, for being so honest and just burying your soul for everyone to see. Like I'm a big advocate for honesty. And I think that, and you've explained why you're so, in your own words, authentic. And I just admire you being so authentic, be it on the podcast, be it on this episode, be it in our means, be it publicly, privately, you are your most 
authentic self through the good days and the bad days. And I think that's a trait that's really admirable that I think a lot of people need to hear, especially through the art you create, which is another reason why I appreciate you. The, the art you create is just very evocative, I think. It's cathartic. You are insanely good at just painting a picture and just presenting your emotions and just making sure those emotions get across through a microphone. And it's just so, it's, it's just so good to kind of listen to it and just listen vicariously through it as a listener from my own perspective. And I think what you do is it's practically the talent you have behind the microphone was practically like a superpower. Like you have a lot of, you mentioned anti-heroism on this episode. There are different mentions of comic books and superheroes on your podcast, but like that's, you have a gift, I think. And what you do, I genuinely think if it hasn't already, which I'm sure it has, it will help a lot of people. And bottom line, I think that's, the perfect angle to have to help a lot of people. And I thank you for being so willing to use your experiences, your pleasures, your pains to kind of help as many listeners as you can. And of course, as I've said before, I thank you for coming on this podcast. Thank you so much for allowing me um, into your space. And uh, thank you for the conversation. Uh, these kind of conversations do lend uh to the topics and the things that I have to say on my show and without like going into another diatribe again, I just kind of want to leave you with another inspirational thing that has helped mold me as a person. And it's a quote and what it is, is I live my life with no concessions, even in the face of Armageddon or Shaq. I love that. Wow. Yeah, that's a perfect place to end on. Wow. Thank Wow. I got a marinade on that a little bit. That's that's a powerful quote. Wow. That's from the 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 Watchmen comic or the movie. It's from the Watchmen comic book, and I read it about 17 years ago. And it it was early in my career, and it was how I chose to live. It's how I choose to live now. Okay, I'll definitely have to give that a read. Wow. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Complex character. And if you want to know who I am, you just kind of study Rorschach. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'll definitely have to hunt this down. Yeah, I've never read that. I have to keep it in mind. But yeah, thank you. Again, thank you for being so honest today and taking time out of your day for this. And um, uh, I'll see you on Wednesday. Peace.